Hi, my name is Tim, and we will be reading today's passage from Acts chapter 1, verse 1 to 11, and uh, uh, you can follow along in your own Bible or the screen behind me. Acts 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he had presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the reading of God's word. All right, well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to True North Church. For those that are new uh, or that are visiting for the first time, my name is Jay. I'm part of the pastoral staff here, and I will be delivering uh, the sermon today, and I look forward to it. Uh, it's... Um, one of the things that's kind of interesting is, uh, you know, two, 2024 is just around the corner. And I, I, just, I, I don't know, like, how, where does time go, right? It's like everything's in warp speed. And I feel like it's crazy because I feel like 2023 just started. Uh, but it's, you know, starting 2024 in like a couple months. And um, 2024 will be the start of year 10 of doing ministry here in the Bay Area for me and my family. And the fact that I've already, you know, almost going to be here for a decade now, that's truly amazing as well. Looking back, um, it's really, truly amazing to see God's faithfulness and the blessings uh, that God has done in and through the church here at True North. And, um, you know, just looking back, it's, it's incredible because, you know, as, as I was preparing this sermon, I was looking back at just the beginning of our church and, and you know, back when we first started. And uh, when, we, when I first arrived here in 2015, uh, once a month, we would have In-N-Out as our snacks. And um, it's because we only had like 10 people, you know, like it was, it was easy to provide in and out for snacks. And, um, you, know, uh, you know, just school starting up again and uh, my, my son just started TK. So my youngest is now finally in school. And uh, I'm, I'm thinking about some of our, our high school students or that are just going into their freshman year in high school. And when, when me and my family first moved up, they were in kindergarten, you know, and I'm like, what the heck, you know? Uh, my, my oldest daughter, she just started sixth grade, uh, so she's in middle school now, and um, the sixth grader at the church when I first started, she's, like she's going to start her second year in college, so like, time is just going by so quickly, and, and I think that's why I shaved. I was like, I'm old. I got to shave. Make a, 
make myself a little, look a little younger, but now I kind of look like this weird babies. It's weird. Um, <laughs> um, and just, you know, just, I, I remember when we first started, you know, like, my, my mic is not too close. It needs to go up. Closer to, closer. So I think before it used to rest on my beard, but now, like, okay. Does that, is that help? I don't know how to do this. Okay, there you go. There you go. So I remember when we first moved up here and just kind of thinking about ministry and, and, and I, would, I would, you know, take some time to, you know, vision cast and dream and pray over our church and, and you know, setting up chairs at the beginning on Sundays, I would set up 80 chairs knowing that only about 15 seats would be taken. Um, there would be times or most of the times on Sundays where the people on stage would outnumber the people that are actually on, in, the, in the seats. And, uh, you know, just starting from a group of seven families, um, it, we, you know, we, we, it took about a year and a half for us to kind of slowly gather to about a group of about 35 to 40 people. And it was then where I felt the call to kind of officially launch our, and, and our church plant. And the first order of business uh, was to come up with a name that fit our vision statement as a church. Uh, and, and, the, and the purpose and, and the plans that we had for, you know, the Bay Area and the ministry that we wanted to do. So, uh, you know, if, if you don't know me, uh, you know, I'm the last person that should come up with a church name. I was like, oh, you know, Palo Alto Community Church. I was like, you know, like, I, I was just, you know, thinking of like very generic names, you know. And, and so we, uh, uh, you know, created a task force of very talented and gifted people uh, who many of them are still here today. And I said, hey, guys, this is the vision of our church. This is what we want to do. This is what we want to accomplish. Uh, please help us come up with a name. And, and they took about a month, and they came up with a name, uh, True North. And right when I heard it, I was like, oh, that sounds cool, you know. And then they told me the meaning, you know. And just as Pastor Eugene explained, they said, uh, the, the reason why we want to be called True North is that um, when you navigate with a map and a compass, uh, the compass is always pointing to magnetic north. And if you want to get to your correct destination, you need to you know, calculate the degree of declination between magnetic north and true north or, or geographical north. And unless you do that, you're going to end up in a destination hundreds of miles away. And, and just, like, just like in navigation, uh, our hearts are pointed to just a, a, a magnetic north that is slightly off course to the will of God. And in order for us to do ministry and to point people to the, the truth of who Jesus is, we need to point them to the true north of the gospel. That through the word and the, the truth of the, uh, God's word and, and through, uh, you know, the, the love and loving community that we'll be able to point people correctly to where we need to go according to God's will. And I thought that was the coolest thing ever. And I realized that one of the reasons or one of the things that we need to do regularly is to be reminded of our purpose here on this earth. To be reminded of the vision and mission that we have been called to by God. And that ultimately when we are focused upon the vision and mission to, to point people to their true north in the gospel, that we will be a church and a community that is bound together by a common purpose and a common goal. Now, one of the things that I realized um, as we continue to grow and as we continue to evolve and continue to develop is that oftentimes we lose sight of the focus, we lose sight of our purpose, we lose sight of our mission and our vision. And so for the next eight weeks, we're going to spend some time really kind of dis describing and, and going over our vision. Uh, we want to describe what it is that we want to become. What is it that we are striving after? You know, in your companies, I'm sure you guys talk about the, uh, the BHAGs, the big, hairy, audacious goals, right? And, and we want to be able to kind of look as a church community and say, what is the big, the big hairy, audacious goal that we dream about that God has called us to? 
So for the first three weeks of this eight-week sermon series, we're going to talk about the vision. We're going to paint kind of a large picture of, of a very broad picture of what we feel called to. And then the next five weeks after that, we're going to talk about our core values. What, what are the values in which we operate to make sure that that vision be, might become a reality as a community together? So today, in order for us to stay on course with the mission that God has given us, uh, I want us to be reminded of our purpose. Uh, we want to be reminded of what it means to be patient in our progress, and lastly, the, the power of our witness. Okay? So uh, I, I believe that one of the most difficult things about something as big as a, a vision statement is oftentimes we lo lose motivation. In order for us to continue on on that course, uh, we have to be reminded of the purpose that God has for us, that it might be very different than what we are actually striving after. Uh, the patience that we must have in progressing towards that, that, that ultimate vision and mission and goal that God has and the power behind it. So now when we looked at the uh, passage in Acts, um, I think we, you know, this is one of uh, the passages that I think is very important for us as Christians. Um, one of the things that is very important for us is, is what is the commission or the great commission that God has for us? And Acts has a way of describing this mission that we are called to be witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And I think being reminded of that is very important, right? Uh, now, for me, when I was younger, and even still today, uh, one of the things that I had a problem with was starting things, but not really seeing it through completion. You know, I, I, I loved starting new projects or, you know, playing with new toys or having new ideas and then not really, you know, seeing it through. You know, in college, um, I was not a great student, but I was not a procrastinator. Whenever there was a paper due, I would start on it right away. Like a 10-page paper, boom, I'm going home, I'm starting on that thing. And then I would finish about 70, 75% of it, and I'd get bored. And I'd be like, ah, I'm pretty much done. You know, and then like the, the, the last 20%, I was just like, you know, blah, blah, you know, just whatever's, you know. And so when I was getting assessed as a church planner, uh, that was one of the things that the church planner assessment talked about. They're like, hey, um, it seems like you're great at starting things and having new ideas and jumping from one idea to another. Uh, but the difficult thing that you might have is staying motivated through that and seeing things through. And I was like, yeah, that might be true. He's like, and, and oftentimes um, for church planners, they think that being able to come up with new ideas and start new things is, is the main thing that a church planner needs to do. But ultimately, ministry is for the long haul. There needs to be a steadfastness. There needs to be a patience. There needs to be a, a commitment to things uh, to, to doing ministry and doing things, even when it doesn't feel good, even when it no longer gives you that excitement, even when it feels like there's hindrances and roadblocks. And I think going into year 10 of the min into ministry here, you know, I'm, I'm sensing some of that. And I'm realizing that many of us, we all, we all struggle with this idea of motivation. We all struggle with staying on course with certain things, especially if things are difficult or if things take a long time. And oftentimes what we end up doing is that we end up focusing on little tasks that relieve stress, right? So um, when I was in seminary, one of our professors, he said, uh, goal achieving, not stress relieving. And basically he was saying like, hey, oftentimes when you have a big daunting task, what you're gonna do is instead of doing things that help achieve that goal, you're gonna do other things that relieve your stress. So whenever I have a big project or whenever I have you know, something important to do, oftentimes I get my you know, computer set up, I lay you know, my Bible down, you know, everything down, I sit down, I go, hey, uh, I should probably do the dishes right now. You know, and I go do the dishes. You know? right? And after I do the dishes, I'm like, oh, you know, and I'm 
oh, dude, I haven't cut my nails in a long time, so I started cutting my nails. You know, like, we all do that, right? Because we'd rather, uh, you know, relieve our stress by finishing something that is achievable as opposed to, you know, continuing on in, in the goals that we should be staying motivated on. And the reason why oftentimes we lose motivation is because there's a lack of a clear goal or, or, or the purpose is not clearly communicated to us or we lose sight of the vision and mission in which we first started on. And that, this is why a lot of times companies spend time regularly reminding their employees of their vision statement or their mission statement. There's a reason why they oftentimes have kind of like a town hall meeting to kind of get everyone aligned with what they are trying to accomplish, especially startups, right? They're trying to stay on course and stay focused with what the product is or, or what their goal is as a company. And this is also true in the church. One of the main factors why there's frustration within church members, within church, one of the reasons why churches become stagnant, one of the reasons why oftentimes a church community can, can lose, you know, just lose the motivation in, in, the, in the excitement of ministry is because the vision is unclear, because the purpose is not clearly communicated, because it's something that is just lost. You know, it's so true that what our hearts point to is not always going to be aligned with where God wants us to go. And unless we are constantly reminding ourselves of where God desires for us to be, we're all going to be going in different directions. And the frustrations of church and ministry is going to become even you know, more vocal within the community. So when we look at this passage and we think about the vision and mission of our church, the goal is that we want to point the Bay Area to the true north of the gospel by being witnesses of the, of the Savior Jesus Christ and what he has done. And what we see here in Acts, Luke, you know, he, he writes this letter and he continues on and he says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria to the ends of the earth. See, the disciples that were present here, as they were spending time with Jesus, as he has resurrected from the dead, they're spending about 40 days together. They're asking him all the questions that they have about, you know, anything, right? I mean, think about what questions would you ask if Jesus was right here? I'd be like, who killed John F. Kennedy? You know, like there's, you know, like what happened to dinosaurs? You know, like, you know, all, all these weird questions. But then one of the questions they ask is like, well, at, at this time, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Because in their mind, they're thinking, okay, now that Jesus is resurrected from the dead, boom, here we go. Like, the kingdom of Israel is going to be, you know, at hand, and, and we're going to, you know, rock this world kind of thing. He says, no, that, that time and place is not dependent upon you. It's dependent upon the Father. But during this time, the mission that I have for you is that when you receive the Holy Spirit and power comes upon you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I believe that we should read the book of Acts at least once a year, because it is so important to see just how the first century church operated. And when you carefully read the book of Acts, we see that there's a vast difference between how the first century church operated and how the church today operates. And the main difference is not, you know, just kind of like, oh, they were house churches and we're not house churches. No, it's, it's the difference is in what we live for. The first century church lived to accomplish this mission, to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. 
Unfortunately, our church today, we live for ourselves. We live for our own comfort. We live for good things that aren't ultimate things. Right? Oftentimes, when we think about our church, and I, and I mean this both specifically to our church and to the church in general, oftentimes, the things that are top of our, on the top of our minds for us is things like, how can, what, what can we do for the best of our children? Right? If you're a parent, uh, and especially parents of, of kids that are a little older, and, 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 you know, and, I, and I'm feeling that, that pull, right? My, my children are getting older in age, and, and before, even when I didn't have, or especially when I didn't have kids, I judge parents all the time, you know? And then when I had little kids, I still kind of judge parents with older kids, because they're like, what are you guys doing? And now that my kids are older, I, I just, I've become them, you know? My entire life has revolved around my children. I am their chauffeur, you know? I am like their counselor. You, you know what I mean? You, you get it. And you're like, but oftentimes in church settings, when parents, you know, like if you're visiting and coming to our church, oftentimes people, oh, we want to find a church that is good for our kids. We want a church now that we're a family. And if you grew up in the church and stopped coming to church, a lot of times people, once they have kids, they re-enter their church. Why? Because they want to do what's best for their kids. And that's not a bad thing, but it should not be the ultimate thing. Others we, you know, we, we go to church, and, and the thing that we are living for is we want a healthy marriage. We want the secrets of a good marriage. Again, not a bad thing. Not a bad thing. And if you're not married, you say, oh, what does it mean to have a good relationship? Or, or tell me, you know, give me a dating seminar as a Christian, you know? And you have dating seminars, and it's like heavily attended. Others talk about wanting to understand a more intellectual discourse on politics and culture, Right? As a Christian, how should we think about this? Or how should we think about this? Or how should we think about, you know, like, there's all these different things that we want, right, and we live for. And those aren't bad things, but those are all secondary issues. The main ultimate purpose for church, for Christians, is that we would be witnesses of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That absolutely we should seek and ask, how can we be better parents so that we can be better witnesses? We should absolutely be asking, how can I have a healthy marriage so that I can be a better witness of the gospel? How can I be, uh, you know, have a better understanding of dating and relationships so that I can be a better witness in a world that has totally turned dating and relationships into just a, a, a life of hedonism? How can I understand politics and culture in a, in a world so that I can be a better witness to a, a world that looks at Christianity as a, only a certain sect of politics? So this is why we have lost our focus. This is why we have lost our purpose. Because ultimately, we have turned church into a self-help guru you know, thing so that we can have better lives. And I really wish that Jesus gave us that mission. Go therefore and live awesome lives in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and to the ends. I, I, wish that was the, I wish that was the vision because then we'd all be really good at it, right? Because you, you guys are all pretty successful at living good lives. But that's not the purpose. We have lost the focus. We have lost sight of the main goal and the purpose of being a witness, and we have replaced it with the secondary things of comfort and, and, and moralism and, and, and careers and family 
nuclear families and all that kind of stuff. See, when the apostles and the disciples were here with Jesus and they saw Jesus being taken up into heaven, they asked the question, you know, when are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He goes up into heaven. These two men in white robes that arrive, like, hey, what are you guys looking at? Just as Jesus went up into heaven, they're going to come back. He's going to come back down. Right? He's coming. He's going to return. And I believe the difference between the first century church and us is that for the first century church, they absolutely believed that Jesus would return in, in their lifetime. Right? Now, I'm sure eventually they kind of like, well, maybe not. A lot of us are dying. But they're like, I, they thought that Jesus' return was imminent. Now, for us, one of the things that is difficult is that we've seen history for the last 2,000 years, and we're like, Jesus, he hasn't returned yet, right? And I think every generation, in some ways, kind of believes, oh, that Jesus is going to return in our lifetime. And yet, at the same time, there's this weird paradox where we go, I don't think Jesus is ever coming back, right? And so, one of the difficulties of staying motivated within the vision and purpose that God has given us is that we lack patience in seeing the fruition or the completion of what God has promised. So this leads to our second point, that we need patience in, in our progress, right? For believers in the first century, they believe that Jesus would return. Uh, for us, I don't know, do we? Do we think, do we think that Jesus is going to return in our lifetime? I, I have this, you know, like, I think in some ways, if you're a Christian and you believe that Jesus is going to return in our lifetime, um, others look at you as like a fanatic, Right? Because I kind of feel like that. I go, I, I kind of think he's coming in a lifetime, but if I say people, I think I'm crazy. You know, so we kind of don't think about it. And then we think logically, well, he hasn't returned in many lifetimes. So what makes us think that we're special, that he's going to return in our lifetime? So we kind of have that idea as well, right? And, and, and so if the first factor of losing focus on the mission and purpose, uh, of losing motivation on, on, on what God has called us to is because we lose focus on that purpose, uh, another factor is, Oftentimes, if we don't see progress in a quick way, in a fast way, we also lose motivation, right? We are living in a culture where everything happens at light speed. Um, I was, you know, when I watch, like, shows and the streaming on my Netflix kind of stalls, I'm like, what the heck? What's wrong with my internet? Like, how dare you, you know? And then I forget the days in college where I would wait three days for a movie to download, you know? And I'm like, are you telling me I can get a movie in three days? I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm like, just waiting, it's like, dee, 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 you know, and like, now I'm like, what's going on, right? You know, like, I, I, I ordered DoorDash yesterday, uh, and um, the person delivering my sandwich, or it was two days ago, um, they, they should have arrived, but they weren't arriving. And then they called my wife, and they're like, hey, um, we can't, I'm having a hard time finding your home. I'm like, what do you mean? Like, you have Google Maps, you know? And it's like, they're like, I'm at 1779, or I'm in 1791. I'm like, dude, it's 1771, you know? I was like so angry. And then my wife went to, to get the food, and she's like, dude, he was like 85 years old, you know? And I felt kind of bad, you know? <laughs> right? So mean, right? But that's how impatient we've become, right? Like, we, we forget that people would travel for weeks on a boat to get to America. 
And we're like, oh, man, a five-hour flight to Hawaii. Oh, that's rough, you know? You know, like, oh, man, I got a 45-minute commute. Oh, that's rough. You know, like, we have become so impatient because everything is just lightning speed at the tip of our fingers. But, and, 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 and the thing is, like, we're wired to really be satisfied when we are able to see the completion of something. I would have never known in my life that I would spend so much time watching farmers uh, give their horses a new horseshoe. Have you guys ever seen those videos? Like, I, like, especially when I'm stressed out, and then like that, that comes up my feet, I'm like, what the heck? And then like the farmer grabs the horses, you know, he like takes off the shoe horse, you know, and then, and then you know, the, the, in between the shoe horse and the hoof, like all the dirt gets caught up there, and he's like carefully scraping it off, and then he gets these weird tools and he's like shaving the toenail of the horse. Like, I didn't even know horses had toenails. You know, they like shaves it off, makes it all clean, and then puts a new horseshoe, hammers it in. I'm like, why am I watching this? Because I love to see that things are being completed. You know, just seeing the progression of a dirty horse. And then, why do horses need shoes? Anyways, like, I don't even know. I'm a city slicker, right? And then they get a horse, and it's just so satisfying. The opposite of that is when you don't see something come to completion, right? Um, I know you guys, during worship, you're like, what, what is our, what's the AV team doing back there? But have you guys ever seen this? Have you guys ever seen this? The first time I saw this, I got so pissed. Someone sent this to me, and I'm like, do you guys see this guy? He's about to shoot. I'm like, I can't wait for him to shoot the arrow and hit every single balloon and pop every single balloon, because that would be so satisfying, right? I can't wait. He's getting ready. He is just taking aim. He is about to do it. He's going to shoot it. The first time someone sent me this, I was watching it for like seven minutes. <laughs> Until I realized this is a prank. It's just a loop. It's never going to happen. It's never going to come to completion. And oftentimes, in our Christian lives, we feel that the mission that God has given us to make disciples of all nations Go therefore and be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Preach the gospel to the ends of the earth and then the end will come. It feels like this infinite loop, right? That there's no end. And we wonder, is God really in control? Is this, what, is this really the purpose that God has given us? And because there, it seems like there's no end, because it seems like there's no progress, we start losing motivation. And the reason why dieting is so hard is because I wish you could just see your progress after one day, you know, but it doesn't. You know, and even, if, you know, oftentimes, unless you take pictures, you look back and you're like, you don't even see the progress. You don't even notice it. And for 2,000 years, we have been waiting for Jesus' return. And we look at the world today and we think, has there been progress? Right? Because we look at progress in our own human minds and we see it in a very static upward climb. And then we look at the condition of our world, we look at the condition of our country, we look at the condition of our churches, and we wonder, is there progress? And the, and the eye test says no, so we go, then what's the point? What is the point? So when we look at Acts chapter 1, verse 8, uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 8 is, is, 
is a, not only the, the preview of the entire book of Acts, but it is, it is the outline of history from the moment Jesus ascended into heaven until he returns. So in, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says, you will receive power the whole, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And if you look at the breakdown of the book of Acts, we, from chapter 1 through 8, we see the apostles and disciples and the followers of Jesus being witnesses in Jerusalem as the gospel of Jesus Christ spreads within Judaism. In a place with, um, among the people who put Jesus to death, now we see their conversion and their transformation be, of becoming followers of Jesus Christ. And then from chapter 8 uh, on, we see the gospel going forward into Judea and Samaria. Persecution of the Christians actually scatters them outside of Jerusalem. Persecution is always an initiator of God's evangelism going forth. We see them and we see Philip evangelizing to the Ethiopian eunuch. We see more and more people outside of Jerusalem becoming, uh, becoming saved under the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then the last part of Acts, the majority of the book of Acts from chapter 13 on is Apostle Paul going to the ends of the earth in his missionary journey to evangelize, to share the good news of Jesus Christ in Turkey, in Greece, in Rome, all throughout the Mediterranean and into Europe. And when, they, when you look at the history of the world that we live in, we see Christianity spread first from Jerusalem. We see it go upward and westward towards Europe. We see it go south and, and west towards all of Africa. And then what happens, right? And I know we might, I don't know if we're supposed to under, like this, but manifest destiny, right? It goes into the United States through the, to the west. It's, it's tra it travels down into South America. And when you talk to missiologists today and to missions organizations today, they say the fastest growing church in the world currently is in China and India and in Southeast Asia. Why? Because the power of the gospel is continuing on in this trajectory, going from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And as it continues on westward and westward, where is it going to go back to? Back to Jerusalem. And then Jesus will return. When we look at our own lives specifically, and when our eyes are fixed only within a very specific area of our lives and our church, yeah, it's going to be very difficult for us to see the progress of the gospel. When we become so inward focused that we're only thinking about our lives, our families, we want better programs, we want better, you know, ministries, we want, you know, we want better organization, we want better this, we want better that, then we fail to see the progress of the gospel of Jesus Christ actually succeeding, actually doing what he has promised. And 2,000 years might seem like a long time to us, but it is nothing but a speck of dust in the eyes of God. In his omnipotence and in his sovereignty, we are seeing the power of God just infiltrate into a world that is living in opposition to him. And lastly, I think that's also very important, we have to understand the power behind our vision, the power behind the purpose that God has given us. It says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. I've said this many times, but I always like this. The word power in the Greek is the word dunamis, 
The word dunamis is, the, is where we get the word dynamite from. So this is, you know, like when we're talking about, and, and back then, you know, dynamite was, when dynamite was first discovered, that was like the most powerful thing ever, right? Uh, and, and so we're talking about a power uh, that is unmatched, a power that is explosive, a power that will fuel and energize a, a, a mission and a purpose that seems daunting and unachievable. Uh, when I think about some of the most difficult things for Christians to do, it's to be a witness and to evangelize, right? Uh, in my college ministry, we had this thing, and we called it random evangelism, where we just walk around campus and then randomly approach people and be like, hey, uh, where do you think you're going to go when you die? You know, and then like try to stri strike a, you know, that was like 20, I, someone told me that I started college 25 years ago and I got really sad, but uh, that's, that's what we did back then. You know, and, and even now, when we think about what is the most difficult thing that you can think about in terms of all the commandments that God has given you as a Christian, here in the culture, here in the Silicon Valley, it might be sharing your faith, right? There's a lot of different things that come, a lot of different baggage with sharing your faith, right? You, you wonder, are people going to look at me weird? Are people going to think that I'm some weird Jesus freak? Are people going to be really offended and think that I'm trying to convert them? Are people going to look at me and think that now because I'm sharing my faith with them that I hate a bunch of group, you know, different people? You know what I mean? Like there's, there's so many different things that, we, that comes up when we think about witnessing and evangelism because it is difficult. It is hard. And I'll say this. It's probably just as hard back in the first century church. Why? because they were literally being murdered for sharing their faith. They were being thrown into dens with lions for sharing their faith. They were stoned for sharing their faith. Right? They, were, they, were, they were arrested for sharing their faith. Us, we might get a side eye for sharing our faith. Right? People might just stop inviting you to things for sharing, you, you, you know what I mean? And that's all kind of internal. It, it probably doesn't even really happen. I think oftentimes we as Christians, we, you know, kind of overemphasize or blow up this idea that we're always being persecuted. You know, we're not, especially here in America. There's slight inconveniences. There's no real persecution. Until one of you guys goes to jail and I got to visit you in jail for sharing your faith, we're not being persecuted. Okay? We're not. But there is a power that comes to the Holy Spirit and it is unleashed when we are obedient to the call that God has given us. Because when we think about power, we see it in worldly terms. But when the power is described in, in, in the Bible and the book of Acts, it is countercultural to how we view power. Because number one, we look at Acts chapter one through eight and the people in which God is using to spread the, the truth of the gospel, and we see that they are people of very little influence. Apostle Peter was a man who denied Jesus three times. He was a man who denied Jesus in front of a young female. The power dynamics of that culture meant that for a man, a grown man, to be afraid of a young female meant that he was probably the most cowardly person that they could describe, right? So Peter is this weird paradox. He's, he's, he's kind of bold in a way where he'll cut off someone's ear, but he's also a coward in a way where he's going to deny Jesus in front of a, a young female. He was also not a highly educated man. He was a fisherman. And he was very unathletic. He was very slow, right? John said he easily beat him in a foot race. 
So think about all the things that we admire about people. We admire intelligence, we admire status, we admire courage, and we admire athleticism in some ways. And yet Peter was none of those things. And yet God used Peter to evangelize to the, to start the evangelism and movement of all of Jerusalem. A Jewish fisherman preaching to an audience where 5,000 and more become Christian through his preaching. And then we see Apostle Paul. We see him becoming the person who writes 13 books in the New Testament, almost half. We see the greatest missionary this world has ever seen. We see a man who has planted more churches than any, I can imagine. And we look at his pedigree and we go, ah, finally, someone with good pedigree. He was educated. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was a Roman citizen. But all those things, he says, I count as rubbish compared to the surpassing knowledge of knowing Christ. And he was a, a man of service, a man who was constantly beaten and persecuted and, and put into prison. Everything that we assume is required for us to be witnesses is turned upside down in the, in the examples that we see in Peter, Paul, and all the other disciples and apostles. For Apostle Paul, he let go of his status. He let go of his clout. And he became more powerful. For us, what do we often focus on? We look at the power dynamics of this world and we say, unless I have a certain level of influence, I am not going to put myself out there to be a witness. Unless I have a certain status, my witness will not be as effective. Unless I have a certain amount of money and prestige, then people are not going to listen to me. Like we think about, we, 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 we kind of think like that, right? And I'll be completely honest, when I first came here to the Bay Area,